Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> You can say as many yes. words as you want. I've been banking. Garfield Nukin. Let me. Let, I have to. Good evening and welcome to Progressively <laughs> Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight, we're talking about the phenomenal 2022 remake of the horror classic Hellraiser. Uh, I am your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cenobites. First, they're here to challenge the sexy werewolf, sexy vampire binary. My co-host, Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? Oh, man, love a good movie about making a deal with God and getting him to swap our places. (laughs) (laughs) Swap our faces. That's a different thing. Will Uh Eisner comic is about? I don't. I've never read it, you know? (laughs) Sorry. Um... (laughs) A contract a with God? God, yes. No, this that's... is a forgotten switcheroo movie from the late 80s. Will Eisner wrote <laughs> Face Off? <laughs> Will Eisner's Face Off would be wild. And the cinnamon roll of Cenobites, <laughs> our co-host, Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? I'm good. I'm happy to be here with all of my uh, my fellow Cenobites talking about Cenobites tonight, taking a bite out of crime. Cenobite out of crime, huh? <laughs> You see no bite out of crime, yeah. More like taking a bite out of a fuck boy. <laughs> it's a recurring theme on our podcast, I feel like. And we have two guests tonight. Yeah. We've got Alana Levin and Frank A. Smith. Alana is a multiple-time guest of the podcast, specializing in some Clive Barker and especially Hellraiser. Alana is also the host of Graphic Policy and Deep Space Dive podcasts. Frank is a longtime horror aficionado and periodic podcast guest on topics like horror and heavy metal. He's also Alana's longtime partner who has somehow avoided appearing on Alana's podcast, so we've managed to box him in. Uh, (laughs) Welcome back, Alana, and welcome, Frank. You summoned me. I came. Thank you. (laughs) I got my box. I was thinking, you know, this is my third Hellraiser episode with you guys. And um, I keep saying that it's getting too much, but I know I'm a liar. (laughs) I still keep trying to get people, thank you, to listen to the Hellraiser mix that we made so that they can understand that Ozzy Osbourne and Motorhead reference that I just sang at you all. We'll we'll talk about that more throughout and then we'll post it on Twitter again when this episode comes out because uh yeah it's in the so it's an interesting team behind this one uh because it is obviously based on you know the Clive Barker original um however it is directed by David Bruckner who uh I have talked extensively on here about the night house which at some point we'll have to talk about uh he directed that and the ritual and southbound and has done you know stuff on the the VHS movies which are all sort of uh, anthologies it is co-written by ben collins and luke piotowski who also wrote the night house as well as super dark times and a handful of other things and also the story is written by uh one david s goyer who you may know from dark city or the dark knight or batman v superman dawn of justice or the thousands of other things he's somehow gotten a credit on it all have dark, dark in the, the title. title. 
the point is, if you know who David Goyer is, I'm sure you posted strong opinions about him on Twitter. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we we have all read at least one interview with David Goyer that has made us hate at least David Goyer, if not movies, period. Um, <laughs> so uh, this movie stars a lot of folks that are like fairly new, relatively small name actors. Adessa Azion. Uh, is sort of our main character. I have not seen any of the stuff that she's been in. Yes, I feel like it's very important to note that this movie does not star Aaliyah Shockwatt, as I thought for like the first solid 20 minutes. like Aaliyah Shockwatt. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a confusion for me at first. Is like you, the first time you get a good look at her in the movie, I was like, oh, not her. Weird. You know, we also have Adam Faison. I don't know any of his stuff. Drew Starsky, who has been on The Outer Banks and was in Love, Simon. Brandon Flynn, who was in 13 Reasons Why. So we got sort of mm-hmm. a Netflix all-stars going on here. But I think by far the two biggest names in this are Jamie Clayton, who was in Sense8, and the L World Generation Q, who plays Pinhead in this. Yeah. And is so good. I love her as Pinhead in this. Oh, so Very good. Good. Yeah. She's, yeah. she's phenomenal. And uh, Goran Vishnik, who is our uh, sort of like evil millionaire who's easily 30 to 40 years older than everybody else in the movie and you might know him from the girl with the dragon tattoo yeah That's how you know he's a evil. thing called er where mm-hmm. he was like in i don't know 200 episodes <laughs> of when tv shows had 200 episodes i mean he's 30 to 40 years older but he looks 20 to 25 years older if you ask me that's true that's true mm-hmm. there's a scene in this where they say oh he disappeared six years ago and she's reading an article from 2021. And for a brief time, I thought this movie nonsensically took place in the year 2027 for no good reason. <laughs> <laughs> cashing in on the Jack K energy. <laughs> no, I, I actually also had, again, I thought this movie was fabulous, but I also had a moment of chronological confusion when it said six years later and that credit came up after they were leaving the bedroom because I was like, did they, were they in the bedroom for six years? Uh, yeah, it six just felt that way to the people overhearing it. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. true. Oh, yeah, it's a, a, a fairly young cast. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's they're all they're all very good like there's nobody in this movie that i would say is is not pulling their weight but yeah it's uh for for remaking something with such a big name uh especially considering that you have like some pretty hot screenwriters and also david s goyer um <laughs> you know it, it's uh, kind of a, a brave choice to go with some uh, some relative unknowns let me ask you uh, do we know how much david s goyer is in this script because i heard this script had been bouncing around since 2005 which sounds more like a david s goyer time to write this script yeah it's it very specifically <laughs> says screen story by david s goyer screenplay and screen story by Ben Collins and Luke Piotrowski, uh, which given that those two are relatively hot recently, I would say probably David S. Goyer had like a first version of this script that has been sort of going around. Yeah. Yeah, someone probably picked up the David Goyer script off a pile and they polished it up and took it into this yeah, it, version it we have here. Yeah, it feels awfully gay for a David S. Goyer script, I gotta say. <laughs> That was the first thing that struck me is when I saw it, I was like, hmm, Clive Barker and David S. Goyer would be a weird combination. And this doesn't 
this doesn't <laughs> feel David S. Goyery. As much as I enjoyed The Dark Knight when it came out, and sometimes, you know, there's still stuff that works really well in there. A lot of his stuff feels a bit bro-y uh, in a way that would be, I think, starkly inappropriate for a Hellraiser reboot. Yeah. Yeah, in this day and age i would if you're gonna go that direction i needed to go really <laughs> broy. well in the david Esquire version the sex scene was six years long um <laughs> i needed to be so broy that the cenobites have a fraternity and the act of like putting together the box and becoming a cenobite is your like fucking initiation into the fraternity and it's your hazing sun, process bro. every time somebody messes with others. the box they're like chains Chains, 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 chains. I mean, that's what happens. Emily, you have got the the recap on this one. You want to jump in and get us started there? Yeah, let's talk about some Cenobites, baby. All right. So we begin in Serbia, which I assume is where the movie was filmed, because there's a lot of Eastern European names on that cast list, but or not cast list, crew list. Maybe well, so yeah. distracting right off the bat is for any of you Secession fans out there, this movie opens on Marsha. That's right. Which just made me wonder when Brian Cox is going to show up summoning the Cenobites. Yeah, so he that, would, though. He would be in the right? Leviathan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fucking Logan Roy doing the Leviathan, like confrontation or configuration or session if that's what it was about configuration logan roy with the lamentation configuration holy shit yeah so we begin in serbia and there is a clandestine exchange going on involving a proxy of a quote-unquote mr voigt um and we can only assume there's the puzzle box involved for those of you who are familiar with our series here oh yeah (laughs) boar I'm really happy the boars in this movie that came came over from uh, Blade Runner. So smash cut to eyes wide shut, which is occurring in Mr. Boyd's manor. A young sexy man <laughs> finds puzzle box in the sacrifice room and gets sacrificed chains. Smash cut to intense six years later sex featuring Riley, our protagonist, and a man attached to two very muscly arms, Trevor. Riley is a recovering addict living with her protective brother, Matt, his boyfriend, Colin, and Nora, the roommate. She's part of it. <laughs> Trevor is okay, question mark? He makes an effort. Also, he's got a line on a totally mysterious warehouse that possibly has cool shit in it. Uh, guess what? It's a puzzle box. It's in layers of boxes like an onion. Riley returns home from this venture drunk, which is the last straw for Matt, who kicks her out. She spends the night on the street playing with the puzzle box because no one, no matter how intoxicated or sober, can keep their hands off this spicy cube. The hell is ultimately raised. <laughs> Riley escapes the bite squad, but they grab Matt, who has come to rescue her from ODing on the street. Colin, Nora, Riley, and Trevor try to figure out where the fuck Matt went, but ultimately are like, maybe the box did it. And to be fair, that's their only clue. So it's not that, you know, I mean, it's a stretch, but it's not that much of a stretch. Trevor and Riley follow the box trail to Serena Medicare, who we saw in the open as the proxy of Mr. Voigt and the hot milf that um, Chains Boy, our first Chains Boy, was sacrificed for? Question mark? Serena Medicare is shown the box and she's like, you're fucked. And then she tries to take it, but then she gets bited. We are introduced to some new takes on old favorites. Uh, We have some Cenobites coming in. We've got Ventilator Cenobite and Vagina Throat Cenobite. They do have actual cool names, but I don't remember what they gasp are. Gasp is Weaver. the ventilator one. The gasp. Oh. And of course, 
Pinhead is actually yeah. called the priest in this one. Um, More like the book. Yes. You know. Yeah. What's the giant throat called? Was and she the then guest? there's another one called the S Fix that has like its face covered and it's like trying to breathe through its own skin. Her name is Vagina Throat. <laughs> okay, we got the priest, the chatterer, the weeper, the gasp, the asphyx, the mother, the mask. Masque. The masque. Is the masque? Is that from the nineties? And it's in a <laughs> Rob Liefeld comic. Uh, the masque. Yes. I mean, just because like it has like, letters that are with the Q and random, so that yeah. makes me think of. I mean, there's no X in comics. it, so sorry. It's hard to say, but. No. True. It's not an acronym. He is the one whose face yeah. is peeled off and then displayed like uh like he's the last living human in Doctor Who. Oh yes. yeah. Yes. Yeah, I couldn't quite figure out what was going on with him first, but well he we haven't seen him yet. But we have seen uh Asphyx, who is I think is ventilator. I'm gonna call That's him what ventilator. he would be named if it was a Rob Liefeld comic. Indeed, the ventilator. <laughs> okay, so Riley finds out about how much Roland Voigt was just a little freak, and she ventures out alone to his cursed-ass house, which is in a cage. Uh, Riley explores to find the obligatory collection room with all the instructions on hell and its associated raising practices. Oh shit, Matt is here! And there's a flesh monster just can't- Just kidding, it is Colin, Trevor, and Nora here to jolt her back to reality and ultimately get fed to the Leviathan. Apparently there are three configurations left on the cube. Oh, and three friends are here. Hmm, <laughs> weird. Uh, alas, Nora is the first to get sacrificed. A mysterious figure in a secret passageway stabs her with a box. The crew tries to leave. This is not the bite crew, but the, the human crew. The crew tries to leave, but the party has already started, baby! Chatter teeth bite and various flayed skin hair or uh, mask, masqua, herald our homegirl pinhead to grab Nora and offer free piercings um, in the very spacious van. <laughs> Riley tries to throw away the puzzle box, but Pinhead comes to introduce themselves and make offers. Apparently Riley can sacrifice Colin and Trevor to get Matt back, but she is like, mm, no, but then accidentally stabs herself on the box, ruh row. The remaining crew book it back to the house and are pursued by Chatterteeth. Riley non-accidentally stabs Chatterteeth, who is sacrificed instead. Nice, only one more to go. The cool house keeps the bites out, but for how long? Chatter teeth by bit Trevor. And now he is in a bad way. Sadly, not dead yet. <laughs> but also sadly, they have forgotten about the mysterious man in the walls. It's Voight. He is part hurdy-gurdy now. <laughs> that explains the condition of the house. Uh, Trevor was working with Voight the whole time. That figures. Colin and Riley plan to lure another Cenobite into the house as a sacrifice. They don't know about Trevor yet. Riley's plan starts to break bad due to Cenobites using Velociraptor tactics. Vagina Throat, Ventilator, and the Weeper follow Riley as they manage to catch, or and they manage to catch the Ventilator. But then they re realize their ableism as the Ventilator proves more spry than anticipated. <laughs> For a little bit more context, this guy kind of like wheezes and and moves slowly, clutching his uh, his titular ven Ventilator like it's like a, it's a baby. And they're like, "All right, he's just going slow." And then at one point, he like puts the the baby on his back, the baby ventilator on his back, and then he's like, all right, bitches, it's on. Don't underestimate anybody with a ventilator. Oxygen is highly flammable. Mm. They almost get away with it, though. Uh, if it weren't for that meddling Mr. Voigt stabbing Colin, Riley realizes Trevor is a plant as Voigt monologues. Turns out the gifts of the Cenobites aren't all they cr they're cracked up to be. No way. <laughs> Just look. Voigt wanted to feel stuff, and the, the Cenobites stuck a hurdy-gurdy through him, which technically counts as feeling stuff. Colin tries to escape, but the house cage is open and the Cenobites are everywhere. 
Voight completes the configurations and summons the Leviathan from Evangelion and is, and is like, please fix this hurdy-gurdy shit. And we see a cool pregnancy. <laughs> that's the mother. Bite. Only a little bit. That's the, yes, that's the mother. All the bites come for Voight, but he keeps them out of the audience room and traps them in the house to use his leverage so the Leviathan fixes his shit right this time. But shit, Riley steals the box and lets them in. War! Riley manages to save Colin from the vagina throat by sacrificing Trevor. Get him. Meanwhile, Pinhead takes the hurdy-gurdy out of Voight and is like, such sides, etc. <laughs> Riley goes back to, it's pretty cool, to be honest. Riley goes back to the Cenobites and investigates the rescue brother option. She is aware the best way to win against the Cenobites is not to play. Alas, the Cenobites are all, we still win because you're sad. And she's like, okay, well, here's your stupid box. Riley and Colin presumably drive off into the sunset, leaving Matt to the sweet serenity of death instead of being resurrected in, as a flesh monster. Meanwhile, Roland finally learns to smile as Leviathan rips off his face flesh to make him the next Cenobite. War. The end. So that's yeah, Hellraiser I need to bring you guys. Colin's not going to survive. He got slipped from his belly button to his clavicle. Like, there's no way he's making it out of this night. I don't know. It's, it's horror movie rules. Once you survive the scene where you're impaled, you just kind of limp around after that. I mean, we'll see. Nabite. <laughs> we'll um, see. I mean, he also has got like just wire, like razor wire scars all over his body. I mean, they were stringing him up like every limb, Got torso. I mean, yeah, like most of the surface area of Colin is actively <laughs> bleeding when the movie ends. Well, hopefully, there was enough alcohol stashed in that car <laughs> to at least, you know, mm. fry a bit of the. Uh... I don't know. I, feel like I mean, Cenobites I feel like there's probably clean. one Cenobite whose clean. thing is like infection, but. You know, aside from that, I think most of them are... You know, pulling needles out of your own head and putting them through other people. It's like, I wouldn't use a tattoo artist that took that way myself. Yeah, sharing needles specifically. <laughs> True. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's exactly what they mean, but, you know, you, you shouldn't share needles, guys. You know what? I, I do have to say, I think the biggest thing for me, the biggest improvement over the original Hellraiser for me is just the number of badass lines they feed to the Cenobites in this movie. Um, because, like, they've got a couple in oh, the original. Yeah. But, you know, we have such sites to show you and stuff like that. But, like, whoever wrote the line where, like, Riley yells, enough, at the priest, and the priest says, enough is a myth. And I know they just <laughs> took the rest of the day off after that. <laughs> like, just... Got it. Drop the whole script. the whole music speech, which was directed at Nora, which like to me like evokes kind of the weird cosmology of like J.R.R. Tolkien. If you read the Silmarillion, how it's sort of like this magical yeah. music-based cosmology, and yeah. uh, when the priest is like salvation, what did it feel like? A joyful note without change, without end, heaven. There's no music in that. And then it's like basically like vocorder fucking up Nora's voice with a needle that she pierced through her throat. Uh, that was fucking awesome. Yeah. Well, there was a there's a lot of throat centered like aesthetic 
And like a lot of strings. I mean, you know, the thing is, I again, this movie was excellent, but we were sort of joking about how, you know, and Nora was there. The whole thing with Nora would have been so much more poetic if there was some association between Nora and music or vocals or something like that. Or from Christianity. Scene, you know? <laughs> or just, I, yeah, well, she's like yeah. for salvation. Like there was a moment where I was like, I asked Frank, I was like, what, what did she say? And he had to tell me because I couldn't understand it. Wait, was that what she was saying? Yeah. Was salvation? I thought oh. she was saying salami. <laughs> yes. I knew she wasn't saying salami, but it really did sound like salami. <laughs> I mean, like if we same. just had a little bit more characterization for Nora, it would have been awesome. But yes, those were an amazing sequence. Also just her getting stabbed in the back with the box, like that whole like moment. And just, oh yeah, it was so intense. Yeah. One of my favorite effects, and especially when they did this in the van, is just the world giving yeah. way. Just like things opening mm. up, like hallways to hell just appearing. Great effects. But yeah, for a two-hour runtime movie, not a lot of characterization. Yeah. The Cenobites talk really slow, though, you see. <laughs> They're very slow. I, I like that. I mean, I like that about them. It's a little bit of a different flavor than the Cenobites in the um in the original. Also, not a lot of leather. Well, they're very gingerly. And it, I feel like it's an intimidating factor for, like, split hands, tentacle monster, or pinhead. But then I feel like it kind of backfires, because it's it's hard to be scary when your head is stuck <laughs> yeah. in a fence. It's a very scary possum I mean... kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The Cenobites are weird enough, I think. I think that they're cool enough that it's a little easier to forgive the lack of characteriz characterization. You know, if you're familiar with the Hellraiser conceit, I guess, it's pretty clear at the beginning of this movie. You're like, okay, there's our protagonist. Those people are going to get eaten. You're going to be sad about at least one of them. You know, I like that Trevor was gross. And uh, I thought it was not overstated which gave the uh the creepy factor a little bit more of a of a place but I, I don't think it would have been like there would have been an issue with more characterization especially for a movie that is yeah, i mean i feel like the long. only person who was really lacking in characterization is nora who just also happens to have had like the coolest nora. series of like death related stuff between from like getting <laughs> yeah. lost in the walls of the house to getting stabbed with yeah. the box to getting like a pretty cool yeah. death scene at the hands of the main bad guy you know the priest being easily the scariest of the group not that all of them aren't pretty frightening i think this one does a good job of i think presenting all of them as scary like they're all scary yeah oh yes and they have such detailed yeah. design uh, i th i think they did a good job of not overdoing it with any of them like one of my problems with hellraiser 3 is they were like trying to make pinhead into freddy krueger and they realized that he was kind of the star of the show but they didn't realize that he's better in small doses where in this movie priest i think has more to do than pinhead did in the original hellraiser but not so much where you're like the mystery is gone i agree yeah it's a good balance to how pinhead is used and i really love that pinhead isn't mm -hmm. defeated yeah yeah I, I love Pinhead's reaction to the loophole of like, oh, you never said Cenobites can't be sacrifices. Yeah. I love Pinhead's just like clever girl <laughs> reaction. Yeah. Never like Chatterer anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't shut up. The idea that 
objectively the right choice of no choice is just the conviction of like, oh, you've chosen regret of yeah. not doing our awesome. Yeah, you're gonna wonder for the rest porn. of your life whether you could have saved your brother. You know, whether oh, you know you could have done anything, and you're gonna regret the fact that like you sacrificed all these people and got jack shit for it. That was so genius. I yeah. loved it so much. <laughs> I I. But having seen all that and all the other Hellraiser movies, there is no doubt in my mind that any wish is going to be a fucking yeah. monkey's paw and end up yeah. being fucked up. Yeah. Like, oh, I wish for my brother back. Oh, no, he's a fucking murder torture zombie. Like, that's clearly yeah. what would would have happened. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, we know that, but we don't know that she knows that. Yeah. And so we're sitting here saying, like, you know, this whole thing is obviously a metaphor for addiction, right? So we're like, okay, we're glad she got her addiction to futzing with this under right. control. But she's still going to wonder if she could have touched it again and changed yeah. it in some way. But we yeah. know it was the right answer, but like she doesn't have that other context to know for sure. So she will be miserable and doubting it and fiddling with this sort of pain and guilt. I feel like it's got to be some sort of supernatural magic mental torture where you're like, I, I must have made the right decision, mm. right? Everything else was going to be horrible, but like you're magically bound to mentally torture yourself forever <laughs> i mean but even without yeah. that i just that's what people do sure. i mean yeah one of the things that I, I a choice i really liked was that like at no point is she trying to hurt people it's yeah. all about her not being able to control her neuroses i thought that made her much more interesting than if it was like a she's like not tempted for power to be powerful like the only reason she's tempted for power is to try to rescue her brother's life which is a very reasonable right reason to to want power and like all the people who get hurt it's always because it is impossible to engage with this box without being hurt you cannot or engage and hurting others escaped. yes and she displays addictive behavior towards it like there's so many times where obviously you need to put this down it's not coming from a place of power hungriness it's coming from a yeah. place of weakness yeah she can't help herself that's definitely one of the main or one of the things the movie's exploring is addiction I mean, there's you got that scene yeah. early on where it's like she comes home and then the fight with the brother where she like is kicked out slash runs away, which I was also thinking like, man, that's got to be a motherfucker for the roommate who's just trying to sleep. Yeah, yeah. Nora's just sitting there pretending, trying to pretend to be asleep being like, you'll deal with this in the morning. They do say a lot without saying too much. With the character interactions, I think that having Colin be like, oh, you know, it's just a bad night. You can come back inside. And then it's her decision to leave that time. It is interesting that the kind of like the emotional heart of the movie is the bond between Riley and her brother's boyfriend. Not that it's like bad or like it's well done. It's just that's just not a dynamic you usually <laughs> see yeah. as like your main emotional core. yeah. Which is actually, I mean, it's refreshing. It's usually not like a brother. It, like, you don't see too many movies that are all about like, oh, I had to, me and my brother-in-law had a whole big, like, it's, relationship It's a really interesting inversion, too, to have, like, the, at least as far as we know, straight sister who is an absolute mess and lives with her, you know, gay brother and his boyfriend who are maybe too straight-laced. <laughs> like, they've yeah. got their shit really together, you know, mm -hmm. to the point that, like, Colin is like, I don't really understand some of these things that are going on. They, I think, really invert the way that is often presented in, in these things. 
Colin is so like devoted to the part of being like the romantic boyfriend that he's reading Lord Byron <laughs> in bed. Like it's like so corny is kind of lovely. Like it's just something yeah. that I know that someone would do who is young and you know in, in like a pretty steady relationship and is living their best life. I'm glad that he survived. Is there some metaphor in there where the the gay couple are kind of chastely reading? I mean, Byron isn't chaste, but yeah, they're they're you know torsos <laughs> mm-hmm. exposed reading Byron in bed, whereas the messed up straight, at least partly hetero sister is like her life is fucked yeah. up, but she's getting pounded, bed shaking like waking up everybody's sex like and multiple times in the film too yeah, like right before dinner too in the, the, the <laughs> opening bit like, yeah they're just like they come out of the the bedroom and everybody is like literally they're obviously having heard them fucking loudly in the other room <laughs> getting ready for dinner yeah i mean at that point you might as well just cheer you'd be like hey but then they probably could hear that it ended <laughs> awkwardly because it looks like those walls were made of paper but yeah, there was this bit in the beginning where when Trevor said the word love, that's when Riley was like, no, and which is an interesting juxtaposition, you know, when you bring up Matt and Colin in bed and like reading poetry to each other and very devoted to each other. I'm almost interested in what this is saying about sex, but I am more interested in like what the Cenobites are doing. Also, hurdy gurdy. Uh, I don't know what that was, but it was definitely some kind of string instrument that was like steam power that's like right through voice. Yeah, just I, the description of it is awful because it's just like, oh yeah, all of his nerves are running through this thing, and it just jerks at them at random, and just often enough that like he can't ever be comfortable. Like it's just always pain yeah. in the you know in an unpredictable pattern and he can't do anything about it and he can't escape it it's just having a bad fucking time i mean it explains why the house is in such a good shape because he's just in there mm-hmm. yeah like walking around being like this fucking well frank sucks. totally called that when we were watching it frank was like he's phantom of the operating yeah. operating around the walls <laughs> Yeah, and also, like, oh, I mean, shit. I was sort of like, oh, plot hole, like Sabrina or whatever. You did really bad job managing this estate. It's like all the chandeliers and stuff are still in here. It's got working pianos. Just, aren't you supposed to sell that shit when someone dies? And then it's like, oh, <clears throat> not a plot hole. Yeah, not a plot hole. Yeah. I, mean, I feel like like every time I thought something was a plot hole, like, but what? Like, how did they know to show up? And then it's like, ooh, the movie ha- one step ahead yeah. of me. What a what a nice little puzzle box they put together for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I really liked how like when you they're going around flipping the different switches in the house, which we already know are associated yeah. with traps, right? Because we see mm-hmm we see Voight like use it as a trap earlier. We're like, oh my God, don't play with the traps. But then you're like, oh wait, it is getting dark in there. They do need to find a light switch. Like there's all kinds of dumb things, things that at first look like they might be typical horror movie participant doing dumb things that are not dumb. It's reasonable. You're in a house, it's getting dark. You're looking for a switch to turn on or like, and then when she's like flip any switch, you know, I fully expected Nora to get smushed through Mm -hmm. something additional, but Mm -hmm. that actually didn't happen. It was strictly, she got, you know, stabbed Mm -hmm. the back by phantom of the house i did notice this is probably the most breaker boxes i've ever <laughs> seen in a movie 
big, big electrical box. You should, you should box have an movie. app for that. I mean, they had that shit put together in like 2016. <laughs> it should be on his iPad from hell. <laughs> Greg, is this like when we point. accidentally turned on the disco button oh, in yeah. Heather's apartment? I just wanted to throw out <laughs> Phantom of the Fuck Dungeon. <laughs> That's pretty good. Ooh, I think I know that guy though. Refer to it as the fuck dungeon at one point. Um, Masquerade. I mean, they're not wrong. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was a really good performance too. Actually, and I was like, I why do I know this guy? I haven't even watched ER ever. Yeah, but I recognized him from Life or something. I also recognized Um, him from Life. (laughs) A significant lack of like of smartphone usage in this movie yeah. which i kind of mm. liked i bet the leviathan fucks with wi-fi yeah, like they, they showed this. people using <laughs> it like a little bit I, I feel like she like waved her phone around like it's not working like at one point oh and, okay i didn't yeah, I didn't yeah. Catch that. it's tough to write around that like why aren't people constantly calling each other but uh i i didn't miss it like while those scener bites were out there, I would have been like, "I'm gonna fuck TikTok this. This is fucking weird." <laughs> I'm going into the walls, walls, y'all. Like and subscribe. If there was a Hellraiser <laughs> ARG where it was like some TikTok people being like doing urbex and they're like, "Holy fuck, pinhead!" That would have been really cool. But would it not, have not the same kind of? That'd be a Hellraiser Bloodlines or kind like of situation. Halloween was it H two O the one, or was it the one after that where they? Uh, they had the reality TV thing and like Busta Rhymes is in the camera truck. <laughs> oh, that is H2O. Yes. I just remember Busta Rhymes was in that one. And that was sequel idea. They it. left some hooks for a sequel, if you will. We've only seen three of the rewards. So, you know, you get the, the TikTokers in there. And, you know, one of them will try to resurrect their career and we'll get to see what fucked up shit happens. I appreciate that, like, oh we, we talked a little bit about the reward for Riley, which is the Lamentation configuration, mm-hmm. and we do know from, like, their earlier discussion that the gift of the Lamentation configuration is life, and they say that, like, yes, she's she's going to be miserable, she's going to do all this, but, like, literally there, you know, she doesn't say what she wants to choose, she doesn't choose a box, she says she's gonna go on with it, and they're like, oh, no choice is the first choice. You've chosen to, you know, to continue to survive. The worst choice of all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they really turned her going like, "I yeah. choose no choice," and they're like, "That okay? That was always." Yeah, allowed. I was kind of like, "Oh, yeah. here's where she ruins the fun. She ruins the fun by yeah. being smart, and then it's like, gotcha." I'm hoping we get a very social media fueled sequel, but not like. Oh, welcome to like hardcore sex talk. We found the lamentation box. Like, I'm like, I just want a dork being like, hey, welcome back to my puzzle box channel. I found a cool new puzzle box today. That's what I was imagining. And their wishes for more puzzle boxes. I gotta say, uh, I hope I wasn't the only one to think of the ultimate uh, Hellraiser rock band when she accidentally chose the lamentation configuration. And that, of course is Rush with the lyrics from Free Will. You can choose a ready guide and some <laughs> celestial voice. If you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. Gotcha, Riley. Gotcha. 
Yeah. Was anyone else expecting someone to like wind up the spring on like Voight's back like he is a wind up toy? Yes, I, I mean, did. I was ready for Weird Al to run in and start playing him. So, yeah, I thought someone was going to have to physically like manually do it and set him off like a Tinker Toy. That would have been cool. <laughs> That's what Serena was for. The thing that I'm really excited about from the movie is just like. I like the way it built out the mm-hmm. cosmology more. I'm really fascinated in like what the different forms are going, like what do their significance? Are they visually referencing some other kinds of esoteric symboliness? And I, I couldn't recall like, cause I've only seen movies one and two. I haven't seen three, even though I know that's been on our to-do list, you know, if any of the other forms of the box had been explored. And the very first movie you only see the first one and then you see leviathan in the second one and i'm like oh my god how did they make the square go up long that in and of itself is breaking geometrical rules in ways that are blowing (laughs) my mind like i am excited about yeah like like frank was saying like the potential for seeing stuff with the additional configurations but i also just am trying to think about like what are they connected to what are they drawing from i loved the scenes where we see uh voight's office where you could see all the detective work and research he's been doing. I would love to have an art book. Oh yeah. Right? Of what of all that shit they put on the desk of his files and his references and like whatever weird seal of Solomon and Rosicution bullshit he like was playing around to with. I want to know. Like, that was something it. that really I really liked as well because I feel like Hellraiser 1 and 2 sort of function as one movie and that like you don't get any explanation at all in the first Hellraiser like they're just like yeah yeah it does this we guess it also maybe does some other things we're not sure and the second one you start to get a little more of that filling out and this one it's like it it rewards having seen that stuff a little bit because you know when that when the box changes shape and that sort of opening bit at the mansion you're like oh shit that's like that's the leviathan shape like that's the shape of the horrible yeah. god that sees all things and also love their depiction of leviathan in this movie oh, like especially like leviathan descending from the sky like man i don't know about if y'all play any of their games but i was getting some real shin megami tensei vibes from it oh yeah it, it was very like out of I the love other that world you first sort of see it through the ceiling of the house and then when it does actually do the mm-hmm. shooting down on the house you suddenly realize that it's in this huge maze, you know, like we see in yeah. Hellraiser 2. But yeah, they don't go out of their yeah. way to explain that stuff. But like, if you've seen Hellraiser 2, you're like, oh shit. They do explore so much more of like how the box works and what the other forms mean and what yeah. these things do in a way that like is so so much more like satisfying to me. There's that you do want a certain amount of like mystery to the stuff. You know, they have these like different possibilities of what the box could do. And you know that they're all traps to some extent because i feel like in yeah. in the original it's very like and then he was killed and pulped all over the floor and then came back as a thing and we're not really going to explain yeah. how any of that works or why not to mention like when kirsty is sort of like manipulating it it starts like laser blasting the <laughs> cenobites away which i don't know i don't want to say it doesn't make sense but it kind of comes out of nowhere yeah and i just want to yeah. make it clear I love Hellraiser one. It's one of my favorites, but it, you know, it's got some stuff that's not, it leaves, a, I'll say it leaves some mystery there. <laughs> I remember joking about her, like it's solving sure. the puzzle at the Cenobites as she's running away. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. She's yeah. like, yeah. yeah. I do like that we have 
a little bit more parameters, but it's not too much. You know, we yeah. didn't over explain it and it's rewarding that way. There's the stuff on the page and we get enough of that. We know that there's seven configurations and each of them starts with L yeah. and they all are bad. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of the lore, who here has read the short story? Uh, a couple years ago, I read it. Okay. <laughs> if I have, it's, it's so long ago, I might as well have not. Was any of that lore... Is that incorporated into this version of the movie? So, do you, do you remember the original book? It was a very, sh it's a short novella. A lot of it is the like the murder stuff that you see with uh, with Julia. Like that was the bulk of the story. Like capturing people, finding Frank Cotton, reconstituting himself, and that was the bulk of the book. On the periphery. It doesn't really explain anything about the box in it that I recall. So some real, <laughs> some real Barker heads out there fuming right now at my my bad memory. But uh, some of the things that were definitely incorporated in was sort of referring to the lead Cenobite as priest. Also that the pins on her they're jeweled in the book, uh, yes. and here they're definitely like. Uh, yeah, pearlescent. They it's sort of pearls. glow in the dark. Yeah. Super cool. Actual pins instead yeah. of like yeah, nails. That's, that's true. Yeah. Like hairpins or hat and pins. Yeah. The other yeah. thing yeah. is that their cost their bodies are more just like flesh, like wrapped around like brass or other materials. Like the leather daddy thing was kind of brought in for the first movie. They talked about like interleaving yeah. strips of flesh and you know, leather and steel and stuff in the in the books, but not. I don't. I don't think they really described like the sort of fetish wear that we think of centrally to the original Cenobites design. You know, so yeah. lore wise, I don't. I don't think you get a lot more. And you know, the the writers here really. I mean, they took stuff from the second movie for sure with uh leviathan yeah. and then you know they probably threw out some of the stuff from bloodlines the fourth movie because there you find out that it's called the lament configuration because it was originally the la marchand configuration and it uh and it's just like oh yeah english you know anglophones fucking up the name now it's a they call it the lament config but here it actually means something to be lament so even fucking colonialism is to blame for the Cenobites. Right. <laughs> of course it is. Goddamn British Empire. <laughs> the one thing that I didn't maybe love about Hellraiser 2 is that we find out that Pinhead is a, like a French legionnaire and that... Just got into or, some or shit. Yes, yeah, and from what I understand, yeah. the franchise later goes yeah. deeper into like Pinhead as a person and humanizing pinhead and i'm like i i don't need pinhead no. humanized yeah i definitely don't need chattermouth humanized because apparently chattermouth on the other is hand, a child. i will say that was well, dope. Yeah. <laughs> get, like, that was dark yeah. that kid's so cool <laughs> oh no that would have been young yeah. frank's response i'm sure um yeah yeah i i don't i don't know i just think like in the end of the second movie, when you know the doctor becomes a Cenobite, and the end of this movie, mm -hmm. Voight becomes a Cenobite. Like, as much as I don't want to get the pinhead backstory of the atrocities he committed in the Algiers, as it were, uh -huh. I, I do think there's something poetic about them. These explorers having been human 
that have chosen to become this in some way. Yeah. I just maybe don't want it to be Wolverine <laughs> origins leveled. Yeah, well, I like that the, the Cenobites are, you know, as they are priests or devotees to this god, they can walk between realms because they once were human, you know, there's there's somewhat knowable. And so like it's it's one of the more successful attempts at being like, this is fucked up and weird, and it's really it's it's weird, y'all. But we only we know that we're only seeing part of it. And that glimpse makes sense lore-wise if our ambassador to that realm is some someone or something that was once of our world um what was this what was the subtitle of the second hellraiser movie hellbound. Is, is it hell on yeah. earth hellbound hell on earth yeah. was the third one yes okay i don't think i've seen bloodlines but i have seen hell on bloodlines earth. is the one so, with adam scott and i think his main part is the best part of it uh, yeah uh, are you telling me adam scott's in one of these oh fuck yeah bloodlines is also in space <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he is not in space he is in la france <laughs> in uh in like uh 18th century france where they get where they get the la marchand box. that's the best part of the movie in my opinion and the final shot which i feel like Reference is referenced by the sacrifice room in uh I don't know if you want to have spoilers for the, the fourth movie that you might never re- review, but like there's a big room that looks a lot like the, the sacrifice room in uh in this film. So I, I was hoping maybe a little okay. shout out there. Yeah, I mean there it would be really interesting if they made any sort of homage <laughs> to bloodlines because when I first saw Hell on Earth. The, I mean, most of the Hellraiser movies I saw on like cable movie channels, like Cinemax or something, and it was like bits and pieces. This is before you could control <laughs> what you watched. Mm-hmm. Kitties, all you. This kitties is back when pay per view showed nonstop repeats of "I Know What You Did Last Summer," and you just sat there and watched it on loop. I mean, yeah, I know all of Wayne's World too because of. <laughs> Like by memory, I can recite that whole film because of that. I mean, shit. if you want origin story, that's how I got exposed to a full Hellraiser film. Was going to my friend's house after school on HBO was Hellraiser two, which I saw in fragments like ten times, and then saw it in full. Like I was a budding metalhead, and I was like, "This shit fucking rules!" Oh like the first thing I saw was uh, Doctor Shenard handing the guy hallucinating bugs on his skin handing him the straight razor and i was just like this movie is sick holy shit and like <laughs> this being drawn in loved it i was like How 14 you, so i didn't i didn't see yeah. the first one probably <laughs> till college rented and watched it on a, a tv vcr combo <laughs> dorm room less <laughs> yeah i uh i first saw the hellraiser movies in that like 14 range and i think i feel like hell on earth or excuse me hellbound is the one to watch when you're like when you want to get into it i'm not going <laughs> to say when you're a teenager because i liked a lot of fucked up shit when i was a, in a teenager and i may have mentioned this before on the podcast once i discovered the film Eraserhead, i was like <laughs> bitches come over get in get in loser we're watching Eraserhead. my friends were like <laughs> okay and then 
you know that somebody is your friend if they watch a racer head for you and evangelion oh yeah shout out to yeah ben and jeremy <laughs> watching all of evangelion for me but anyway all, so- all of ava because that's what friends do <laughs> They watch your incredibly fucking traumatizing anime anyway for you for your birthday. Frank, what is the most disturbing thing I forced you? I'm going to assume art film that I forced uh, you to watch. Probably. Was it the misandrists? That's probably it. Oh, you didn't like the misandrists? Like, by disturbing, it doesn't LaRousse? mean okay. I didn't like it. it a, that's a different question. I had the movie that you made me watch that I didn't like was probably... You know, if you want like funny long time couple story, Lana took me to see my first Godard movie, which was Chinois. Oh no. And it was like, okay, I don't know anything about his movie. Sorry. I don't speak French. I don't know anything about the Paris commune. Let's do this. And I was just like, <laughs> what the fuck is happening in this movie? No, I felt bad because at the end he's like was He's like, I kind of hate those characters. And I'm like, yeah, no, that, that's the point. Yeah. He was like, oh, thank God. And there's like people yeah. laughing yeah. during it. And I'm just I'm like, like, sorry. I are they just... jerks or do I just don't know what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Disturbing would be the misandrous. And, you know, we finally watched Pink Flamingos together. And that movie, that stands up as a fucked up movie. I haven't seen it, but from what I've heard, Yeah. You should watch Pink Flamingos, Ben. I think it's important for your moral and intellectual development. I mean, I think we're probably there. Like, I I trust <laughs> that Ben is morally and intellectually developed. I, I mean, know, I'm I mean, I'm not. Hey, John oh, well, Waters has saying. such sights to show you, Ben. That's true. John <laughs> Waters is an yeah. underrated Cenobite, <laughs> in my humble opinion. Yes. Yes, John Waters is totally. What would John Waters' Cenobite name be? Mm, a smoker? Mustache. A smoker. Smoke shit. It's good. Mm. The buff. The sassy bitch. <laughs> sorry, the sassy sorry. bitch. So, um, with this movie, I mean, I, I didn't know if I was supposed to like interrupt during the recap, but I like right away wanted to mention like I came into this movie not sure who to believe, like whether it was good or or bad because it's such mixed reviews and you know hoping for the best and then that first guy you know the uh i I guess the sex worker guy gets killed at the party and what bugged me i was like come on man it's like from the second movie they said it's not hands that summon us it's desire they should obviously be going after voight here they know the score but they didn't and i was just like movie you're fucking it up and yeah well, that occurred to me too like that they changed the rules on once that. i'd gotten into the movie and realized oh shit they changed the central metaphor uh then i started to really yeah. appreciate it because i was like they changed the central metaphor okay they're doing something new with this property instead of just making worse versions of the f- first two which you know to me they don't need to be improved upon once I realized what was happening and how much that worked with her, the whole addiction narrative, just like how it hurts the people around you or yourself, you know, they play with fire and you get burned or someone dear to you who's just trying to help you, they get 
they get burned. And I was just like, oh shit, this is like, yeah, I went from like ready to kick this movie to the curb to like, okay, you got me. I'm intrigued. Yeah. I love it. There's a point where uh, the priest says like, like we have your blood. Mm-hmm. Well, we leave the box in your hands. We can take you anytime we want. You can choose to be taken or you could mark somebody else. And like, she could literally choose for all of this to stop and for her to be killed but she's she's got to push it she's got to go a little further she's got to keep trying you know thinking she can fix this thing that the addiction caused by you know basically adding another addiction on top of it on top of both the drugs and her boyfriend which are both horrible addictions yeah i thought that was like the ultimate nailing of that metaphor where it's like you're fucked up but you can get out of it by throwing your loved ones under the bus or at least other human beings you know I, I like the, the ambiguity of when she stabs stabs herself with the box. You know, she acts like she didn't do it. She wasn't in control. But how much of that is like, you know, if the Cenobites is a, a metaphor for addiction, of it being like, you don't mean to relapse. You're maybe not in control of yourself, but it's still what you do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the Cenobites, they have rules, but they are very mm-hmm. canny when it comes to like, you know, t- paying attention to detail. Again, with the exception of the one who spends Act 3 with his head <laughs> stuck in a door. But yeah, well, that one, I think, was in berserker mode. I don't know. I don't that know. Some of them are a little blind. bit... The priest um, But, I mean, it is yeah. the situation where I was like, oh, that's that's awesome. You know, he walked right by Colin because Colin wasn't marked. It was Riley was marked at that point. I was like, okay, cool. But then... He ends up biting Trevor. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> He's sort of like violating the rule. Well, way. I think I think even Blind did just knew like, ah, oh, this guy <laughs> yeah. sucks. Chomp. Uh, yeah. I'm biting you on yeah. my free time. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> You're in my yeah. way. It's your fault. I did love just Riley was like, wait, trade Trevor's life for Colin? Yeah, no, no choice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a, at that point, she knew that Trevor was I gotta was, say, was like, talking to you guys, like, one of the things that bugged me was that stabbing the chatterer actually worked and that you could substitute Trevor, who she didn't like at that point. You know, it's like she didn't have to make a hard choice. You know, when I was watching the movie, I looked at the fact that she could stab the chatterer and that would count and that she could trade places between colin and trevor so it was like why she doesn't have to make the hard sacrifice and this somehow satisfies it and i was like uh ben they're pretty on the ball and they liked it so like what what are they seeing that i'm not seeing here talking to y'all about it i'm kind of seeing it where it's like oh she Riley doesn't have to trust what the priest says. The priest could be full yeah, of shit. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. And the Cenobites absolutely can't trust them. Based off what I know from the Cenobites in the past and like what they liked from like previous protagonists, choosing a Cenobite as the sacrifice topic seemed like the kind of loophole like Pinhead would be like, okay, that was a, I'll I'll give you one. <laughs> yeah, that like was that. That was good. You get one. Like, that was clever. Good luck stabbing another one of us. And then to me, we're just choosing to trade Trevor for Colin. That just fit into this, like, okay, by the rules, 
the Cenobites gave her the power to choose, and she never did choose Colin. So this is her still using the power that the Cenobites gave And you are still making yourself a murderer, I guess, by by switching to Trevor. I I mean, and we, because of uh, Vagina Throat's preoccupation Mm -hmm. with the music and, um, you know, and, and, uh, and the priests, both of them speaking of like, you know, consideration that as they're like, how shall I fuck you up? Um, I feel like the Cenobites are also really interested in like the most interesting option. You know, they're very aesthetic mm-hmm. and they're all about yeah. everything being like beautiful in their way. So I feel like the 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 more that's why they they don't usually kill, they just torture because the more that time someone has to suffer, the more that they can like appreciate that and think about it. Um I think I think the Cenobites make a very interesting foil uh, to Voight in their conceptions of Riley, where to Voight, Riley is purely like a pawn, like to be tricked, manipulated, used, like just someone to further his own uh, ends and plans, independent of who she actually is as a person. Whereas the Cenobites in their way are their goal, like what interests them the most is kind of just giving Riley agency and seeing what she does with it. Yeah. Like they Void is all about taking agency away from Riley while the Cenobites respect Riley's agency when they're not actively giving her agency. And they know that they, they they're they've interested got her. in what choice she'll make. Yeah. Oh, I was gonna say they're they they are they're more interested in the choices she makes rather than like using i mean they, they want to use her but like they're they are interested in how the the situation is going to unfold yeah they're like they're just interested they're like to her like she's the most interesting mm-hmm. character in the movie to them and they're interested in seeing well, i think it's interesting because do. i think to some extent mm-hmm. like the original hellraiser is sort of moralizing in a way and that it's like you know the, the mm-hmm. people who choose not to play are the ones who win um whereas like i think the the central argument for this one is like it's you know it's the people that choose to play and that decide who loses like you know they they can pull you in you can you know you can suffer because of somebody's addiction without Mm -hmm. ever without ever doing a drug without ever drinking like you can still get pulled into that and uh i think you know i think ultimately the one of the things that makes it really interesting is that like voice reward the like the power reward is becoming a Cenobite. Like that's mm-hmm. that's what true power is to them. That is their gift of power is that you get to torture other people now. Um, yep. You know, that's, yeah. may, maybe it seems to hurt horribly, but in a like divine Honestly, way, but it also, uh, you know, it, it turns you into a monster. I mean, what a powerful mm-hmm. image. What an ending mm-hmm. image that, that Cenobite angel, like a divine yeah. Cenobite. That's, that's an image that's going to be sticking with me. Yeah, they did a good job of like making this a divine void with like its weird geometry and shit. I I mean, it was again understated. Like I felt like it wasn't trying too hard to to Yeah, do it's too the much. most understated peeling off of a person's dick I've ever seen. So <laughs> <laughs> And you haven't right? seen the misandrous. I mean, it is to me. Once he was <laughs> chained up, I definitely expected him to like 
return as then like the final physical threat. But mm-hmm. I'm glad mm-hmm. the movie didn't just like I think that would have been too close to uh, Hellraiser 2. And I'm glad that the movie just kind of ended. Honestly, for just how well they pulled it off, I don't mind that mm-hmm. they went for just like a vibes mm-hmm. ending. Yeah. The ending was vibes. As it should be in a Hellraiser Agree. movie. Yeah, it worked. It w- That void doesn't factor back into the plot. Where it works for me thematically, and especially given what they did with it at the end. I also like that the, I mean, they have the what's your pleasure, Ram. Yep. Um, and it's not coming from a racist stereotype, <laughs> which is cool. I mean, this is just kind of like not analysis, just a little raven about the movie. I'm glad they didn't just take too many lines and be too much Easter egg yes. wing to the audience. But man, when they dropped, we have such sights mm-hmm. to show you. That was that, that was, was good. really satisfying. Yeah. That was they got their hooks in me, man. In a that, good way. that was the one. I was like, oh, pinhead out. I love that there's a Boy. distinction between the like you. the chains with hooks that they use to string up and torture people, and the giant fucking harpoon that comes out of Leviathan to make you a Cenobite, like. You know, it's it's like being shot with a a harpoon from like a a zeppelin. (laughs) Like he just gets like it goes through his chest and just yanks him up out of the into the sky. Speaking of like the chains and stuff, I loved the visual effects in this movie. Like it nothing looked too much like CGI. And especially my favorite thing was the aforementioned hurdy gurdy kind of descending from the heavens and spinning, and it looked just like those stop motion things from the early movies where it was kind of janky but kind of awesome and they really captured that look especially for that and just but like throughout the whole all the chains all the opening like orifices in the walls they totally it just it had the feel of the old movies while looking clean and on you know on a home tv it didn't look like cgi garbage like it felt like it's actually done yeah. with care you know which i just really appreciated well and i i thought i think one of our favorite yeah, things same. in the original hellraiser watching it you know when we talked about it here was mm-hmm. like the restitching together of frank's body from mm-hmm. you know from the blood which is all sort of done in this weird stop motion that like you're less thinking about it and more just sort of experiencing it and the the amount that they sort of mm-hmm. bring that back with like after they pull the hurdy-gurdy out and he's like his body is stitching itself back together over like the the hole that was there is like the special effects on that is like there, it could be a thing where you're like oh i don't really like the you know the cg on this but like the way they do it is so visceral mm-hmm. that you're just like you're watching and yeah. you're just like what the fuck like <laughs> i also love that they take out the hurdy-gurdy <laughs> And then, like, heal him up, and he's like, "Oh yeah," <laughs> like, just Damn. kidding, right, right through. <laughs> it just makes. I up. loved the pieces of the machine falling from his body onto the ground because yeah. I'm so into that kind of detail. Like, I want to see how the little pieces of the machine work, and now there they are on the floor. I love that you call it a hurdy gurdy. It's so real. That felt very Guillermo del Toro to mm-hmm. me, like the bio mm-hmm. mechanical clockwork. As soon as when he's like 
puking up like blood covered mechanical bits like oh that was so good, good stuff that was that was that good stuff that's i mean that's there's a reason that that was uh guillermo del toro-esque mm. uh but i'll get into that when i talk about re- my recommendations but the um the i also really appreciated like you have these cenobites i mean in terms of, as a as an artist as a character designer and seeing the just over-the-top elaborateness of these Cenobites. Like, the original Cenobites were like, this is kind of gross and kind of sexy. Cool. And then these Cenobites are like, this is a fucking, like, this is postmodern art, human flesh, mm-hmm. like, shit going on. There's old, there's new, there's, like, weird patterns and staples. And it's very, very creative and very over-designed, and I love it um yeah there's a number of artists it reminded me of work from i guess i'll probably mention those in my shout outs at the end yeah and then you have like these aesthetic stitching and um shape of the the whole thing with the cenobites and then (laughs) fucking void just has like a rectangle shoved through him and i just love that (laughs) because there's a contrast there it's kind of goofy it's kind of it's just weird um and it's uncomfortable and it's just just off-putting enough that i'm like well done well done this is you're saying something with this like there's something visually that you're saying not that just like look what we can do with special effects you know you're saying something even more like you know there's some this is what happens when you you know this is what happens when you find out like fuck around find out ask for a sensation you're gonna get like a whole ass uh nerve harp <laughs> installed haphazardly on your body yeah, and i so love that you know that. it was a real like device sticking out of the actor you know it wasn't just something yeah you know oh yeah it looks great the, the effects are yeah. just real good in this halloween costume <laughs> idea just Mm-hmm. Any any old person you can be anybody. You just have that hurdy hurdy. Void mid chain being lifted up, just chain the in void from belly. That's the costume. <laughs> just walk around. Just have like a crane haul you around at the party. Yes. Uh, be like that guy in uh, Beetlejuice. That's flat. So we we didn't bury every gay in this movie, as far as we know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Only half of them. Only half of them. I'm assuming Colin uh, made it to the to the uh, the urgent care clinic. Uh, yeah. yeah. I would be interested in seeing Colin in a sequel, being sort of like um, the 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 protagonist of a sequel who is kind of swept into the whole. Uh, lament configuration thing again or as as a consultant you know um because you know he's he's definitely haunted um and that's the interesting thing about the lament configuration is that it's not just you it's everybody who is involved with your with your box (laughs) i apologize for that Nora was the most distinctly non-white character. Um, I don't think that her dying first was any sort of commentary either way. I think she was just like there. 
Mm. Yeah, she she was just good. She was girl number I mean, Matt two. Matt died first. Yeah. If we want to split hairs. Technically, yeah. Matt died. That's true. So yeah. Um, do we I recommend? Mean, yep. Yeah. Do we recommend this movie? Yes. Yeah. I. I, I yeah. I, it's it's bizarre to oh, me yeah. looking at uh, you know reviews when we talk about it that people that there are so many people who uh, claim to be big fans of Hellraiser that are coming out negative on it because I mm-hmm. think like it really like it's not an exact adaptation which it shouldn't be Hellraiser already exists we don't need another one of those mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. but like it's it's so well done it's so well crafted and it. It's sort of ironic to me thinking about this next to uh, the the remake of Evil Dead, which has some of the same premise of like, let's take previous 80s horror movie and make it about a girl recovering from addiction. Um, and I hate the Evil Dead remake. <laughs> and I, I love this one uh, because it, it, it keeps it mm. keeps the like mood and feeling of the original in a, you know, in a way that's honest to the movie um in a way that i i don't feel like evil dead is and um yeah i I really i really admire this movie and how well put together it is and how like fucking painful and bloody some of these like scenes are for for something that came out on hulu Uh, um, it's like there's a lot of like flesh being oh they did not skip on the gore I got I got my gore. Any Hellraiser that skimps on the gore is no true Hellraiser movie. Amen. Yeah. I'm going to say this right here. There is no such thing. Like, it should just delete itself upon creation as a PG-13 Hellraiser movie. Oh, Heckraiser. <laughs> Heckraiser? Heckraiser. Uh, no, I, I really agree with you, Jeremy. I think this movie does what a... I don't even want to call it a reboot because it's not even trying to be the same characters or plot. I'm going to say revival. I think this does what a good revival does where it captures a lot of the icon major and important iconography, uh, vibes, feeling, while changing enough to tell its own story and explore original unique themes that weren't explored. Clive by Barker original. called it, in very Clive Barker fashion, really? a reconfiguration of the original ah <laughs> I, oh, I love it oh wow yeah that's that's there he I goes mean, i mean for me i get i unqualifiedly recommend this movie i went in like nervous it's like oh, i really don't want to hate this movie because i liked the ideas going into it but if it sucks i'm gonna be so disappointed and i was in fact appointed it was <laughs> <laughs> I, I, once I caught on to what they had changed and I got over like this is different but I saw that they they had a, something to say and they were telling it a different way but with atmosphere and with effects and visuals that were careful they were they were uh, you know deliberate decisions and like yeah, it has a, a visual style and it looked really cool and and now, actually, having had this conversation, I like it even more than I liked it because the whole thing with killing nice. Chatterer was one of the things that kind of like was a, uh, you know, a fly in the ointment for me. And now having our conversation, I kind of see how it fits and how it. So now, like, 
I'm even even more recommending it than I was going to already recommend it. I I'm with you. I I like this movie more having had this discussion for with y'all's. Oh. And I, I did go in. You know, and I, I like I, was, I liked I, it going in, but I like it more now. I was a bit worried going into it, not about the movie's quality, but that it would be too upsetting for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, because it's a fucking Hellraiser movie, you know, and I I will say, like, I really liked the movie as you can, I think it is a really excellent, interesting piece of art. Um, and it it has a lot to say. Uh, and I'm glad I, did, I didn't get nightmares because I, I don't I don't really want them. Um, so, you know, like it's actually, and I know you guys haven't gone to your scary schmoopy whoopy, you know, scale yet, but like, um, I, I, I think like that, um, I appreciate a horror movie that is a, a real horror movie that is intelligent and beautiful and interesting and scary. And yet like, didn't give me nightmares. Like how, how often can you say yes to all of those things? You know, that's a really good point. I mean, I, and I think about that too, because the movie I feel like was, was coherent and artsy which those are not usually things that come hand in hand in films (laughs) for real Um, yeah yeah and I think it was artsy enough that it wasn't like just in your face uh violent or aggressively like you know the the grossness had a grace to it there and and in thematically too you know because it's all about like feelings of sights to show you and angels to summon you know sensation blah um watch a movie you'll you'll get a better version of the quote but uh the aesthetic quality of the movie i think helps with it being less like um overwhelming uh in terms of like just the the gore yeah i um i will also say i'm just gonna say oh, go ahead jeremy I, after watching this last night, I was I was talking to Alicia about it. She has zero interest in Hellraiser, and I was like, I think what works about it to me is that it feels like a version of this movie that Clive Barker would have liked to have made, and did not have the budget or yeah. the you know access to make at the time, and like keeps a lot of the feeling of it without like without it feeling like they were really slavish to keeping all the you know bits and bobs intact and i also liked how the queerness was understated too like yeah and i mean it was there it was very much there but i feel like in the original hellraiser movies like the fact that everybody's like all leathered mm-hmm. out and everything like there's that that scandalous quality where you know as a like someone who is either you know not quite there yet in their um realization of their own identity or that is sort of like academically familiar with queerness you know can can recognize the queerness but also it's it's played as like part of the terror um whereas now it's kind of on the other side where it's a like the the queerness of the movie is very much rooted in its characters and its life like it's it's human characters as opposed to the like presentation of the Cenobites um if anything I mean they're just so over the top that like sure I can see somebody doing that at pride maybe not with real skin but like doing like a (laughs) Cenobite outfit but it doesn't seem like very specifically like you know I going to the club that's not a club outfit like the original Mm -hmm. pinhead was definitely like that could be a club outfit 
these oh, outfits yeah. were like that is a Met Gala <laughs> outfit those, yes. those Cenobites are wearing so you know um I I appreciated that about this movie and when I, I saw this movie uh closer to when it first came out and I was um I was also really impressed by it I was uh I it I was I was with it the whole way um and I think that more like reconfigurations should be you know take a leaf out of this book because the the again it was true to the original like vibe it was it was it chose elements that were very true to the original story but also made you know, just updated it in a way that didn't feel like it was trying to be something other than what it was yeah i think on on your point about the queerness of it i i think it's super interesting that like you said a little bit like the the queer characters are sort of the boring ones in the story like you know it's just it's who they are it's not part of the uh you know kink or the um you know frightening hypersexualized quality of you know a lot of you know what what the deal is with xenobites they're like oh no these guys are they are just a couple like that's yeah. that's normal um yeah it, which it makes an interesting contrast to Voight, who is, I think it's implied as also queer, um, but like that yeah. also has this, you know, other side to that of like, yeah. you know, he cares more about sensation than people. Yeah, you know, he's a little freak. Like that's, it's that's separate from yeah. his queerness. <laughs> like he's actually he's well, i like what serena things. said about him where she's like oh he gets people to do things for him that's his thing yeah um which you know is a nice portent portentous line there yeah there's a lot of like just little throw they would otherwise be throwaway lines but they are very indicative of the situation which is like a great show note show not tell um habit another thing i appreciate mm -hmm. about this movie yeah absolutely so what if we like this movie what would you recommend fellow xenobites yeah, what do you guys think people should check out next or generally you know some of the aesthetic aspects of the movie reminded me of some of the books that research publications used to put out in the 90s I, you know what I might have spoken about this in one of our earlier times I was here but um in this case I was thought a lot about the uh, J.G. Ballard illustrated by Phoebe Glocker um atrocity exhibition book or like um and I, I don't even know that I actually even fucking read those stories I might have just been looking at her illustrations um but it seemed like it had very similar visuals to that art I also think that a lot of the visual references remind me of collage work done by Roz Williams and um, some of, his, you know, from the, the founder of Christian Death and um, I think the band. Um, and I, I think a lot of his stuff that was out of print is now back in print and can be found. So if you find yourself attracted to some of the visual elements of this, those would be some illustrated pieces of art to go check out. Yeah. Sorry, I'm laughing at the the idea that the the idea of Christian death was founded 
like the concept of Christ the mm -hmm. death of Christians. Oh, yes. No, that's true. Christians have been dying for a very long time. They did yeah. not just begin dying. I, 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 it's true. If, I, if I recall correctly, and I'm probably not, I believe it was Roman lions who first invented the yes. concept of Christian no. death. That's <laughs> true. It is. The concept does predate the invention of the California death rock band in 1981 um, with their seminal album, Only Theater of Pain. But um, I do recommend all of that. And I also recommend Only Theater of Pain. Also predates the creation of California Pizza Kitchen, which has nothing to do with anything other than I'm very hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I know, Ross Williams is probably well, eating you know, there. 80s, you know. California. I, I, I mean, maybe. I don't think maybe. California Pizza Kitchen is more than 2,000 years old. I'm not sure. Um. <laughs> Back then, it was merely the prophecy. <gasps> Well, lore. Okay. We'll we'll answer that question for you. The lore configuration. Yeah, you can learn how old Okay, and I also so maybe the lore punishment is like um, the punishment in uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where you want all knowledge, and then you just realize how insignificant you are in the universe, and it destroys your mind. Y'all, there's a California Pizza's Kitchen in Queens, and can you imagine being in New York and going to a California Pizza Kitchen? That's just yes. like a sign of failure. Yeah. But what isn't a sign of failure would be buying one of the new editions or reused editions of The Art of <laughs> Roz Williams. That is R-O-Z-Z -Z Williams. Um, if you've liked the aesthetics of this movie, I think you might appreciate his visual art as well. Frank, and did you have yeah. something you wanted to recommend? I sure do. And I'm going also outside of the film medium and I guess also into the music adjacent medium of music. And I'm going to recommend my <laughs> current album of the year, the latest from underground metal sensation Lamp of Murmur, a one man project out of Los Angeles. Most recent album, Saturnian Bloodstorm already sounds like it fits the milieu of the Razor films, but this is more about, you know what, the, he chose the configuration of power in this one. And if you're a fan of Immortal, uh, you will probably love this album, uh, but check it out anyway. And I will say for even better Hellraiser connection, 2021's album by the same band was Submission and Slavery with an extra bonus EP called Punishment and Devotion. And you know what? Ooh. That actually has more of a death rock feel. Uh, I mean feel. This is gonna, you know, probably not for normies unless you want a down-to-the-bone skin peel. Listen, I listen to Coil. <laughs> So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, speaking of which, I mean, uh, Dotheim's Guard just put out an album, and I think they share a member, at least one member with Coil. So, 2023, oh, new really? Dotheim's Guard every eight years, like some kind of yeah, cicada. Yeah. But I'm rec still <laughs> recommending <laughs> that's my shit this year, and it was turning into a strong year. Beautiful. Now, What's the name of that artist again? The the uh, of the what of your lamp of Murmur. So that's M U R M U U R. And uh, 
yeah, Saturnian bloodstorm for the the latest and greatest, and yo know, go go yeah, you know, bookmark it on uh, on the metal archives. <laughs> it's on it's on Spotify yeah, too. On although submission and slavery uh, is yeah. not. That's only on Bandcamp. And you better believe I bought that shit. <laughs> nice. Well, uh, that looks I'll, like it's a um, Sisters from Mercy. Yeah, it, yes. 100% Floodland <laughs> reference. Nice. Okay, Ben, sorry. I'll say, if you like uh, puzzle boxes, maybe you like historical puzzles. Which is why I recommend The Da Vinci Code, both the book <laughs> and the movie. I'll take your word for it. Loving Jeremy's like, look here. Okay. And it feels like Angels and Demons I, is more appropriate, right? Like, Let me say one thing. If I was... Uh, um, if, I, if I was... Uh, uh, any sort of treasure hunter, like if I was Indiana Jones or Lara Croft or Nicolas Cage or or one of those um, well-known treasure hunters, I would definitely have a no puzzle box clause <laughs> on my contract being like, look, I'll find like the lost city of Zanj or whatever for you. <laughs> uh, but if there's puzzle boxes involved, fuck that. <laughs> I don't fuck with boxes. Indiana Jones learned that one. Um, mm. But I mean, that was what about mother box. boxes? I think we all have enthusiasm for mother boxes. I mean, that's just Jack Kirby inventing cell phones in the 19 smartphones in the 70s because he's yeah, fucking yes, legend. Yes. Yeah. Anything that has a configuration hmm. or mm. it has any like specific rules, like don't look at it sometimes. <laughs> I think um, <laughs> probably, you know, I want to like, before I go out, like, I don't want to be like Bilbo Baggins into this or shit. Or the Brood Witch from um, Aqua Teen Hunger Force. I kept thinking about that, actually. I, I didn't think about the Brood Witch episode of Aqua Teen Hunger Force while watching the movie, which is a good sign. But while recording this episode, <laughs> as we talked about, like, trying to work your way around a temptation... And whether or not it was actually tempting or not, I didn't I, begin thinking about the Broodwitch episode of Aqua Teens. I, I feel like it's pretty wild to ever be watching a horror movie or really watching any movie of any kind and ever be able to say to yourself, "This is really reminding me of Aqua Teen Hunger Force." Aqua, I am haunted. Like it does. And I does. and I love Aqua Teen Hunger Force. I think we're all haunted by Aqua Teen Hunger Force. I don't think I we've ever eaten corn that it can't since be disassembled. 2005 without thinking of Doctor Weird. <laughs> that is true. Our wedding and our engagement announcement actually was a Aqua Teen Hunger Force reference. But um, but yeah, like there is something like I think the Brood Witch is specifically a Hellraiser reference. Now I'm realizing this. Yeah. Yeah. Another recommendation. I just recommend watching Dana Snyder deliver the line, I am 30 or 40 years old and I do not need this. <laughs> the fact that you were like, speaking of Aqua Teen Hunger Force, my engagement announcement. <laughs> and I'm like, that's beautiful. That's, that's 10 that's out some, of 10. No, no. That's some sights I have been shown. I'm guessing it was um, a behold. So. Oh. <laughs> 
Uh, no, actually, it wasn't Behold. It was uh, it was the We Are That's One right. graphic. <laughs> we <laughs> Yeah, they get merged. Yeah, no, it was. Yeah, ten out of ten. One hundred out of ten. Five hundred out of Thank ten. You. Okay, my recommendation. So the Cenobites in this movie were designed by an artist who does a lot of movie stuff, does a lot of illustration. Um, I've been following him uh a while actually i didn't realize like it, i didn't realize it was him until um after i watched the movie the first time keith thompson um t-h-o-m-p-s-o-n keith thompson um he's been doing a lot of stuff with movies and he did stuff with Guillermo del toro which is why i mentioned the, the hurdy-gurdy thing being very del toro-esque um mm. he's worked on crimson peak and um and pinocchio the new pinocchio for for creature designs um but he not has- the poly shore one <laughs> the pinocchio there's a oh yeah there's a poly shore pinocchio movie that came out last year hell yes Whoa. there's the poly shore one the disney one and the What's- del toro one all all within a year of each other oh my god that is yeah, it stands a, out. That's, that's a curse. Yeah, it's like all you know, equivalent exchange. We get a good Pinocchio. Polly Shore is 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 one of really those. It's made by one of those Russian animation production companies that's definitely a front for something else. Hmm. Listen, Russia used to make the. I've, I'm sure there's a lot of fan, there's fantastic artists in Russia that make draw the most incredible yes, wolves sure. I've ever seen in my life. But um. The, there were some Russian animations. Look, no, look, nobody's doubting Russia's global dominance in the field of wolf <laughs> art. <laughs> the, oh, another recommendation of mine is go online and find the map of like the most searched furry of each country oh, in Europe. Like it's really fascinating. Makes you think I have. Yes, I like that. I like, Jeremy's like whimpering under his voice. Please don't do that. Uh, do whatever you want. We're not cops. We can't. We can't prevent you from doing stuff. Emily Martin does not represent the views of Progressively Horrified. Uh, um, I'll see. I will say, but um, I will say, look up Keith Thompson's art. He's also uh, he's <laughs> illustrated the um, alternate fantasy series, the Leviathan series. Oh. No relation. I'm sure, some um, relation. Well, some relation, but it's it's like World War Two, but everybody has like mechs and blimps and shit and like sky whales, which one thing that Keith Thompson is really good at doing is making creepy cyborg whales. I'm pretty whales sure they had blimps in the real World War Two. These or ones at least are like access actual, to blimp technology. These they're more blimps. This is like a like one Miyazaki of blimps. Okay, so this is a world where blimps weren't a terrible technology. Yeah, they're also they're a like great technology for filming sports events from the sky. <laughs> yeah. Damn it, I was just about to make that joke. Fuck, you beat me to it. And conveying uh collect sure. numbers. Um anyway, so look up Keith Thompson. He's got some good yeah, stuff. Yeah, um, cool. Awesome. What I'm going to recommend is 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 going to feel totally uh left field, but it is the uh the HBO television miniseries Watchmen, um, mm. because it is a thing uh. that is like this movie, and that it takes the it takes a classic story and doesn't try to retell it. It doesn't try to tell a sequel to it that is half-assed version of of what it is. 
it goes, hey, what's at the core of this thing? Like, what is the what is the actual important thing about this story? And like, they're like, okay, now how do I tell another story like that for this time? Um, you know, because Watchmen, I I think for a long time, having been in comics, anytime anything they proposed to be a sequel or a prequel or whatever to Watchmen came out, I was like, my immediate reaction was just to roll my eyes and huff off in the other direction. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember yeah. a lot of people were watching the show as it was coming on and, and had just really positive reactions. And I was like, there's no fucking way that that's any good. Um, and then I remember hearing an interview with Damon Lindelof where he was like, hey, you know, I, I read original Watchmen and it's really good. But the thing is, it's really 80s because the most important thing in it is this sort of underlying thing that they is sort of in everything, but nobody can really talk about. And it's, you know, the prolifer proliferation of nuclear arms in the Cold War and like how everybody is just terrified of this thing all the time and it underwrites everything. And he's like, you know, obviously that has that stuff hasn't gone away, but that's not where we're at anymore. And he's like, what is the thing that's like that that nobody talks about now? And he's like, oh, it's race. Like, oh, it's mm -hmm. race. Like, it's it's how fucked up all of this stuff is. And I remember listening to that and being like, fuck, Damon Lindelof got it. Like, he, he figured it out. And then yeah. watching the show and being like, no, this is actually really good. Like, he, he took the thing that was at the core of it and was like, how do I update the thing rather than updating the it's, story? It, yeah. I'm seconding, Jeremy. If you've been holding off on watching HBO's Watchmen, watch it. No. It's so good. Like It, it is, took me literal amazing. years after it came out to get yeah. around to it, but it's like so well It's worth it. It's, it. it is. If there's anything you Watchmen related that you ever consume beyond those graphic, the actual graphic novel, it make it the HBO show. Absolutely. And then after you watch the HBO show, you can listen to the episode oh. of Graphic Policy Radio, where we discuss yes. with a historian yes. and a, and an organizer. Um, we discussed Watchmen series. It was a very That's good awesome. episode of the podcast. My guest actually was a historian who's working on a book about Black Wall Street and Tulsa's history. So Red. and then you go back and you watch Zack Snyder's Watchmen, no. but no. only the no. but only no. only no. the Hallelujah <laughs> sex scene. No. Why? watch that first and then watch it okay but seriously though jeremy that was really that's that's a really good wreck um because mm -hmm. you're you're totally right yeah. like that's yep that is a right true back. like someone got it like and it's so nice when that happens yeah. <laughs> it's, it's 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 less rare than it used to be and it is so nice and that series also like it's 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 important on so many levels also, Trent Reznor does the soundtrack, which um, it's very good. It's very special to me. But like, even if he did do the soundtrack, I would love that show. This show's really good. Awesome. Um, well, yeah, that uh, does it for us. Before we wrap up, I uh, wanted to to make sure I guess have a chance to let people know where they can find out more about them and, and what they're working on online. Uh, Frank, did you have anything you want to tell anybody about where they can find you if they want to see more of your work or well, uh, <laughs> if you want to hear more of me chatting about movies, I have been a guest on the Zebras in America podcast, which uh, in which uh, 
Scott Furrow and Marcus Pinn talk movies, philosophy, rap, and other things. And uh, they're both brilliant and good friends of mine. And I was on an episode talking about the films of Richard Stanley before it came out that he was a spousal abuser. But uh, (laughs) we didn't know that at the time. Uh, We were talking about uh, Color Out of Space, which was a hot horror movie at the time, but doing a bit of a career survey as well, talking about his early film Hardware and also Dust Devil. Uh, And then, yeah, he did. Mm -hmm. That was the guy. Yeah. Uh, he brought us the zone heads. Um, but, uh, and I was also on an episode with Ilana where we were ostensibly mm-hmm. going to talk about Booksmart. I don't know if it ever came up. <laughs> uh, I think it, it I think have. it, I think it may have, but we definitely also talked yes. about music uh, a fair amount. As, yeah. Go on. And um, frequently helps me edit the blurbs for my podcast. I I have (laughs) an invisible hand of graphic policy fans. Is this coherent? You didn't know me, man. And so as for me, Elon Eleven, my podcast is Graphic Policy Radio, where comics and nerd media, social change, politics, queer theory, all hanging out in one place. And um, also the spinoff podcast, Deep Space Dive which is a DS9 podcast. Although I've been doing a lot of Star Wars stuff lately. Like I've accidentally been having a lot of Star Wars content on the podcast. Um, and um, I am still on Twitter too much, uh, E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. But I'm also on that new Blue Sky app. If anybody happened to have gotten an invite, my handle there is my last name, which is Levin, L-E-V-I-N. Um, I am Elon underscore Brooklyn everywhere except for on blue sky where i just i took my last name god damn it um but yes those would be the places to check out my work um by around when this will be coming out so fantastic awesome um as for the rest of us you can find emily at megamoth on twitter and mega underscore moth on instagram and at megamoth.net uh ben is on twitter at ben the con and on their website at benconcomics.com where you can pick up all their books including their pre-order link to L. Campbell wins their weekend, their debut middle grades novel from Scholastic. And finally, for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jrome58. That's J-R-O-M-E-5-8. And my website at jeremywhitley.com. You can also check out everything I write. And you should also go ahead and pick up my new graphic novel with Bree Indigo, The Dog Knight. Um, it's yeah. super cute. It's, uh, it's a lovely book. You should definitely read it. Um, and definitely pay money for it so that I can get some of that money. Please. Um, Absolutely. And of course, the podcast is on Patreon at Progressively Horrified. Our website at progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm and on Twitter at Prog Horror Pod, where we'd love to hear from you. And speaking of loving to hear from you, we would love it if you would rate and review the podcast so we can find new listeners. Uh, thanks again to Frank and Alana for joining us. This was a ton of fun, guys. Thank you so much for having us. And thank you. I, I, I messaged you like, I know, I mean, I, you've met Frank before as, as, as has Ben, but I was like, I know this sounds really random and perhaps nepotistic in some way, but when I was talking about the movie with Frank, he had so many things that he had to say that I thought were really interesting that I'm like, I don't want to play a game of telephone and be like, well, Frank said, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Thanks so for bringing me on as a Nepo baby. 
But yeah, both <laughs> uh, both Ben and I have had our partners on. I don't think Brett has been on yet on Emily's end, but <laughs> he's definitely come in yeah. and out of the room. I'll make him. I guess what's going. Yeah, you sometimes see him in the back here. He's just a cryptid. <laughs> don't worry about it. Got that Bigfoot walk, you know. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, he's just tall. Uh, and thanks again to all of you for listening. And until next time, stay horrified. Thank you.